Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world fall by, we sat on our stoops. You know, it seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. Assignment Zodiac by Michael DiCerto. It's another mission for Agent 21. This time, he has to travel all around the world to get the blueprints of the Death Ray, piece by piece, from different agents, each with the name of the Zodiac. But he must beware of Gemini, spies from Russia, Capricorn, spy from Cuba, and Scorpio, the spy from China. Will 21 bring the blueprints back all in one piece to the U.S.? Read on. Yeah, this was my best Agent 21 story yet. This is the one that... Mr. DeSerto, what are you doing? Is going to get me in trouble. Sheepishly, yeah, that's a good word. Sheepishly, I looked up to see Mr. P staring down at me with his goofy smile, twisting that big 1977 cheesy mustache. Uh, nothing. I tried to be casual and slip the pages of my epic tome into the back of my spiral notebook to reveal the incomplete history notes. The dictator lifted the notebook and slipped my sheets of handwritten cursive and scanned it. So Mr. DeSerto was working on a novel. There were a few chuckles. He wants to write the great American novel. He doesn't care about learning. He wants to be the great American novelist. Yeah, you damn twit. As a matter of fact, I do. It was right out of Pink Floyd's Honey, The Wall. Back. I'm all right, Jack. Keep your hands off my stack. <laughs> New car, caviar, four-star daydream. Think I'll buy me a football team. <laughs> Absolute rubbish, laddies. Get on with your work. The class was in an orgy of guffaws. I peeked across the room to see if she was laughing. My grammar school crush. Yep, she was giggling with the rest of the brain surgeons. You can tell your real friends in situations like these. Only three people weren't laughing, as I could tell. My good buddy Howard was probably writing his own story. Linda, a sweet and smart girl who was always too classy for this kind of nonsense. And my crush's sister, ironically, who too was above this sort of tripe. Having embarrassed me enough, Mr. P placed the pages back on my desk and returned to the board. Michael, pay attention. The great American novel can wait. I sat, fuming and humiliated. I looked at the clock. It was 1.45. Just a half hour in prison would be over. I hated being stuck inside. School always felt like a prison. Work still feels like a prison. Writing is the great liberator. The papillon wings. The golden key to the iron gate that stifles one's soul. It's when I feel truly free. Agent 21 was the, the hero in a series of short stories I wrote in grade school. Me and Howard started out writing superhero stories, original ones based on Marvel Comics characters. But my imagination took me past the children of Stan Lee, and I gave birth to Steve Powers, Agent 21, the ultimate good guy with his briefcase that could turn into a private jet plane. In fact, one dead afternoon the following summer, Joe and me made what you might call my first podcast, a recording of a Simon Zodiac, the heart-pounding Agent 21 story. 
I could hear our 11 and 12 year old voices to this day on that golden plastic cassette tape. Maybe we could go back in time and we could hear our actual voices on that summer day when we recorded the Agent 21 story. There was some type of festival going on in the park, so both had to land their mini jets in a long deserted alley. They both got out of their mini jets and turned them back into briefcases. They each picked up their briefcases and walked to find Agent Burgo. Who is this Agent Burgo? He said he'll be waiting at Queen's Plaza in front of the Royal Boutique. Well, let's head there. Oh wait, I mean Agent Capricorn is supposed to be in London. Did you see the slides? Oh yeah, I forgot. That John Doyle character is supposed to be here. Yeah, well, let's go find that Agent Burgo. They headed, headed towards Queen's Plaza. Little did they know that watching from a short distance in a phone booth is Agent Capricorn. Amanda, I spotted the agent. Then destroy them and get the 21's briefcase. Yeah, that was actually us back in the day. Joe was always better than me when it came to doing voices. I was more the writer. But we had a blast, and we scored it with that song from the new Saturday Night Fever album. Well, anyway, for the next few days, I was referred to as the Great American Writer by some of my classmates. You could be called worse things, I guess. I did continue to write Agent 21 stories. Yeah, even during class, but I was much stealthier about it. See, I had my circle of geek friends in class. Howard, John, and Gary. We were two white kids and two black kids. I remember one of the other geniuses in our class commenting to us that it didn't seem right, two white dudes and two black dudes hanging out. Oh, really, Einstein? See, that's the thing about geeks. With the universe teeming with aliens of every shape and color, how could we dare give two-tenths of a crap what color our friends are? It simply never played a role in our day-to-day discussions or activities. We're all shades of brown. I'm a paler shade of brown than Howard was. So big hairy deal. Anyway, for us it was our duty to write in class. We ate, slept, and inhaled TV shows, movies, superheroes, and comic books were our currency. Trades went on often, but my favorite time to trade was at night, on the phone with Howard. Wall Street had the day traders. The world of comic books was more nocturnal. Me and Howard would have these long phone calls. He was hilarious, and he would do over-the-phone practical jokes and let me listen. He would place the phone on the floor, sneak out of his apartment and ring the doorbell of his neighbors, and then run while I cracked up at home. I had become more of a collector than a reader of comics. I wanted the old ones. The issues that had slightly yellowing pages were priced at 12 cents and whose artwork had their earlier and more primitive feel. They just seemed more magical. Howard and me would review our issues, usually hero by hero, team by team, making mental notes. Then we would begin the bidding, the offers, counter offers, an over-the-phone handshake, and the next day the merchandise would be exchanged in the schoolyard before class started. Howard had something else that grabbed my interest. A series of books I had become very excited about. The Hardy Boys, with their blue hard bindings, fun cover art, and great adventures to read with a flashlight under the covers. I ate them up. They had all the ingredients I needed to satisfy my USDA requirement of literary adventure. I probably had half the Hardy Boys catalog. Fascinatingly, Howard had all the others. Hmm, how could that have possibly occurred? What were the odds? Astronomical, beyond anything Vegas could account for. Flashback a few weeks earlier. Now, Howard whispered, keeping an eye on the entrances to the library. Our school's library was small, but it had a nice collection of books. The most were placed on the shelves way before I was born. Heck, before Aristotle. I remember an atlas that still listed Atlantis as a great place to visit. The Book of Presidents ended with William Henry Harrison and something about him having a cold. My favorites, though, were the books on astronomy and mythology. But they were old, too. I mean, uh, you know, this book on astronomy, it said the Big Bang was going to happen soon. And the book on mythology, it said Zeus, yeah, he was a good kid, but he had kind of a god complex. I got a million of them. I get no respect. Uh, <coughs> uh, 
Yeah, oh, uh, anyway. I grabbed three volumes of the Hardy Boys books and shoved them in my book bag. We had been doing this any chance we could, each taking turns swiping the books. Our respective collections were growing. We all know that kids at the age of 11 and 12 are not always the brightest bulbs in the deck. Stealing a series of books from your own school is not the best choices of activities. One has to wonder about the motive. Is it the corruptive influence of unregulated capitalism? I mean, did we feel a need to own the books, descending to the depths of theft, rather than to just read them when we wanted and share with the rest of the school? Or was it the thrill of the swipe, donning the costume of art thieves? Were we getting off, sneaking in and pilfering these works of art, and then trading them in this underground comic book market? Surely the gaping space with the bright blue books that sat would sooner or later grab the attention of the school's librarian. And guess who held that job? Yep. You guessed it. My mother. Yeah, not the brightest Gintu in the set. Mike, I, I want to show you something. My mother innocently said to me one day after school. My mind raced. A new kitty? A puppy? A brand new go-kart with a 455 horsepower engine? An official Red Rider Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time? Oh, oh, oh wait, that's another story. She led me to the old wooden bookcase that was jam-packed with all sorts of science fiction, young adult, classic and about 20 or so blue-binded black market tomes. Where did these books come from? She asked. Holy freaking crap, I was busted. How did you figure it out? She must secretly work for Scotland Yard, the FBI. Maybe Mr. P was a rat. Which books? I was going to play Dumb Innocence, plead the fifth. If that didn't work, insanity. The blue ones. She was oddly calm. Very odd for an Italian mother. My mind raced. Uh, I, I was walking on Pleasant Avenue, and I saw them. You saw them. Liar, these are from our school. She grabbed one of the books and opened it to the inside cover. Naturally, I did not bother to remove the card holder that was attached inside with the huge lettering property of Holy Rosary School. Yeah, I was a dead man. How did you get these? Uh, I traded comic books to Howard for them. See, I guess this is why I never joined the Mafia. Never read out your friends and always keep your mouth shut. That wasn't technically lying. I mean, I did leave out one small detail. That I was Howard's accomplice in the great Hardy Boy book heist. I had swiped them too, and I had traded for stolen merchandise. You little sons of Bogooch, you're gonna bring these back! I dropped my head and nodded and mumbled how it was impossible for a guy to make a profit with all these socialist regulations. If a guy can't steal, how the heck is he gonna get the upper hand? Oh well. I called Howard and told him the bad news. He had all my comics and there was no way he was returning them to me. What did the ancient say? Caveat robberus libris comicus emptor? Let the thief who steals books and trades them for comics beware. But... He did have to return them, and he had no choice but to be my accomplice in the great Hardy Boys book return. That Monday, I packed all the Hardy Boys books into a Macy's shopping bag and tried to look as inconspicuous walking to school as I possibly could. We could ill afford the usual hangout in the schoolyard before the first bell routine. There would be too many questions asked, too many curious eyeballs, maybe even from a teacher. So, Mr. Deserto, a heavy load this morning, Mr. P commented. No, not really. Looks like good reading, Mr. P said as he peered down to catch a tiny glimpse of blue binding. Hardy boys, ah, tasty stuff. Then suddenly, from both ends of Pleasant Avenue, came the roar of sirens and the flashing of lights of a dozen 25th precinct cars. Badges flashed, guns waved. I was surrounded. I looked across the playground and three SWAT team sharpshooters had poor Howard pinned to the ground. I could either surrender or start firing books. Mike! Howard was waiting on the corner and his sharp whisper of my name snapped me from my paranoid delusion. Hey, I said. He had the same loaded Macy's bag in his hands. The back door. Yep, I'll go first. Howard checked the coast was clear and slipped into the side doorway that led to the staircase. I followed behind. The library was on the second floor and had two entrances. 
The Pleasant Avenue side opened right into the little sitting area outside the principal's office, the dreaded chair you were sentenced to sit and await your meeting with Holy Rosary's Capo de Tutti Capo, Sister Anita. She was a tall, thin, bony-faced woman who looked like Grand Moff Tarkin of Star Wars. You know Tarkin, that badass dude who's the only person with the cojones to tell Darth Vader what to do and live to tell the tale? So we, in our minds, were racing around the Death Star. Teachers were stormtroopers, and Grand Moff Tarkin could appear at any turn. I was hand solo when I raced along the hallways, keeping up against the walls in case some blaster fire shot down the corridor. Howard made it to the doorway of the library and knelt down. I rushed beside him. The room was empty, and across on the far side, I could see that stretch of empty shelving that was once home to the many adventures of Frank and Joe Hardy. I looked at the dull white face of the old clock across the hall. It was about 22 minutes past 8. There was no time to get fancy. If we had to return the loot that we stole honestly with our sweat and struggle, then there would have to be one little rebellious act, a defiant statement to the man and my mother. Ah, who are we kidding? We were scared to get busted, so we rushed in, placed the bags on a large reading table, and hightailed it back outside. Later that day, I strolled through the library on my way to lunch. My mom, sitting at the desk, gave me a knowing half-smile. I turned to the once empty shelf, and the line of blue bindings were back. Joe and Frank's adventures, back for the entire school to enjoy. Much more democratic. Libraries are not a place for thuggery. And I would continue to sneak paragraphs on my blank pages as Mr. P droned on about fractions or the Monroe Doctrine or whatever. Agent 21 had microfilms to rescue and souls to save, including my own. There were many more stories to tell in those mythical days on those stoops of Atlantis. Agent Capricorn hung up the phone and exited the phone booth. Then he took out a 45 Magnum and fired a 21, then 206. But it was such a long distance since they had both walked a lot that he, he missed. then took out a 45 Magnum and fired at 21, then 206. But it was such a long distance, and since they both walked a lot, that he missed. Agent 21 and 206 both immediately pulled out their guns. 206's 45 Magnum and 21's 50 U Special. They jumped to the ground. They both started firing back wildly. This has been The Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.